This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a... A feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Randy, this is the this is this is a top tier podcast. So we, you know, we I know it is. We typically have to ask the questions and make sure that we're we're PC across the board and. Um, Can you- Yeah, you're sounding beautiful. Okay. Have you got a beverage uh, since our topics tonight seem to be a little spicy? Yeah, you guys are going to put me on the spot here. Uh, Oh, look, Cody. I have to give Cody a little bit of props. I don't often give Cody props, and I don't know how he managed to have a little bit of fortune telling in uh, his <laughs> scheduling, um, but uh, we happen to have brought on a famous Montanan at the same time as almost like, dare I say, Cody, the next Cecil man. is on our doorstep in Montana. Right. <laughs> oh, How did my. you do it, Cody? I did. It's all uh, the stars aligned. Wow. Well, you hang around Montana long enough, the stars are going to be aligned about twice a week. So, right. Cody, just just keep looking. You'll, you'll find it. <laughs> oh. Well, Randy Newberg, welcome to the Blood Origins Roundup, man. We are certainly privileged to have you, and, and thank you for accepting the invite. Well, thanks for having me. I'm I'm excited to be here. I got to say this. I got, I got something I got to say real quick, because my wife is listening, and but I, I love your shows, man. And I'm not really a, uh, I'm not a big hunting show guy. I like, uh-huh. I would just rather go walk around in the mountains than watch someone else to do it. And I'm fortunate enough to live in them, so I can. But I, yeah. I really, I really do like your shows. And my wife, I would say, like, she'll watch shows with me for a while, and she loves me, so she pays some attention. That that fair? I mean, I'm and and she's a she's an outdoors person. She she's not super interested. Um, but every time your show comes on, she's like, "That's the nice guy. That's he. He seems like a really nice guy." 
and I, uh, like, you, you, you want me to give you my wife's phone number and your <laughs> wife and call my wife and that will completely change Cody you'll never have to hear that again every time <laughs> every time we pull one up pull one of your shows uh, up she's like oh that's the nice guy and it's not you know she's not paying a whole lot of attention so she may not even remember that she said it 10 times in the past several years but uh, uh you're the nice well, guy I, hunter according to my wife well, you tell her I appreciate that. And if she wants her money back, I'll give you my mailing address. You can send an invoice. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> well, we've had a pretty big day at Blood Origins. We're, we're all, um, it was a big day. We're not going to let anybody know what, what happened today, but it was a big day for us. And so Cody's drinking his normal agave, um, not tequila, but agave because it was not brewed where tequila is brewed. Um, what are, we're still trying to get that sponsorship right for you, right? The yeah. agave, whether or not they ever sponsor us, it's a little hometown distillery um, in uh, Palisade, Colorado, Peach Street Distillery. They've, I've never talked. There's no business connection whatsoever. I'm just telling you, there's super friendly people that make some super fine spirits. Um, so I like to uh, throw the shout out to the this this. And it's not a little bitty operation. It's a it's a nice it's a great place. Peach Street Distillery. And by the way, it's about the eighth time I've mentioned it. Maybe you guys could just send me a bottle. I really like the agave, especially the extra agave. Oh, well, I, I, it sounds to me, Cody, like you've already got the pitch down, and uh, they aren't even going to have to give you the talking points once that sponsorship agreement it. comes into play. I do it backwards is the problem. Like I pitch things that I like and it's never worked out where they've sponsored us ever. It's, that's really? Oh man. That's how I started. I, I pitched uh, and I only used stuff that I believed in and that I liked. And here I am 14 years later and still using the same boots, the same backpack, the same clothes, the same optics. The, it took a while though. I, yeah. But I didn't, I didn't have a spirits or beer company. Right. Yeah. That's uh, my goal. That is the, yeah. the the penultimate sort of like thing for Cody to hit. Yeah. I, I'm drinking Oban number four, uh, fourteen year old Oban. It's a special night. I broke it up. Must have been stuff. a hell of a day for you guys. I'm glad to hear this. Good yeah, yeah. no, we got Cecil in Montana and big days for for Blood Origins and uh, no, it was a great day. It was a really good day. I'm looking at some bear pictures that have come out uh, uh, out of the state of Arkansas. Do you know that the state of Arkansas is about to open up? more of a bear season this year no they are really? and blood origins is about to get involved in a direct conservation project with the state of arkansas great to help them with that uh, that bear season good my sister oh. and my brother-in-law live there so uh folks, folks maybe are they can pay. partake sorry man folks are going to want to pay attention to that uh contest too uh there's going to be some folks that get an opportunity to uh actually participate on that one which um i think i'm i'm jealous as heck my my local game warden and i well my local game warden has been trying to trap lions up here mountain lions up here for about six months none of it's worked out we've been a couple of just personal blunders that we've screwed up but participating in that stuff is on your side or the game warden side mainly mine like my my whole job is it it it's a shitty drive up to my house. I got two and a half miles of private road um, that me and the rest of the rednecks in the on the road are responsible for maintaining. So it doesn't get very well maintained, honestly. Um, and so the game warden's like, hey, we want to trap lions up here. Um, but will you just check the baits and the trap? Um, and I do. Like, I'm excited about it, right? Like, I get up and do it. I mean, this is not, I've, I've been called lazy or, you know, a procrastinator in my life, but not on this deal. But then I'm checking them for like three days. And then I go to Kansas for Christmas with my family, right? I get back, the bait's completely cached and destroyed, lion prints everywhere. So we bring up another, I let him know. I told him I wasn't going to be able to check it for five days. We put another bait. I'm checking it, checking it. I check it one more. Have you ever seen a cached? I mean, Randy has to have, but the way that they cache them, 
is amazing. Like they build this yeah. giant pyramid of sticks and and then there's this perfect circle around it because they're like pawing the stuff on there. It was it was the most it was the most man made looking thing I've ever seen that an animal did. And so we set another bait. I go up four or five days in, perfect. It's all cached. So the theory is once it's cached, we then cut a ham off of it, off of the deer that they cached, and we throw it in a trap. Like you piss them off that you mess with their cache. So they go get it in the trap, collar the it's part of a huge research project that CPW has going on right now. We're a very small part of it because we still have yet to catch a cat. But, <laughs> but I get up there and it's perfect. He's like, it's like everything he told me it was going to be. I had checked it 18 hours before and there was nothing. So I'm like, we got a cat, right? Close. He's in here. And I call and he's on vacation. He, and I go like, I, can you give me somebody else's number? And he's like, there's really no one else in the area. So we've managed to uh, feed a cat a full roadkill deer twice. And uh, I did have him drive all the way up one time because I thought we had a cat in the area and it was a bobcat. And so we had a little track lesson. I knew, I knew it was if it was a mountain lion, that it was a very, very, very small mountain lion whose tracks I saw. But yeah, he drugged the traps all the way up that time. He was a little frustrated with me, but anyway, that's my mountain lion trapping story. We're unsuccessful, but I, I, I think it's cool to actually like get your hands dirty, participating in some of this stuff. And there's a potential opportunity for that in the uh, Arkansas Bear Project. We're getting ready to announce. Yeah, there's actually two opportunities. One that is the new area that they're going to open up to hunting. That's where we're doing the project. And you'll be able to collar bears in that area uh, with uh, Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. Or you could do the classic uh, bear denning with the cubs and weigh the cubs and whatnot. So, yeah, the winning team that raises the most money is going to get an awesome opportunity to do some cool stuff. Oh, say that word again. What kind of an opportunity? Awesome. An awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. not how you said it before. You said it very South African before that. Okay. Well, at least I didn't say it American. Awesome. It's awesome, guys. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine the two of you once you've had three or four drinks, or maybe oh. you already have. I don't know. No, no, no. I just it's, got started. It's, when 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 Cody comes to a podcast ready to roll, he's two or three whiskeys in or agaves in. It's a hell of a podcast. I I thought Cody was telling this lion collaring story because of the link to the article that you sent me. I yeah, thought that's well, where see, you that's were how going we tie every, that. We tie everything in. This is high quality production, Randy. We're going to tie that back into the Montana lion thing as well. So All right, multifaceted conversation. Uh, well, Randy, what? we didn't even let you introduce yourself. Uh, we've just been rambling, yeah. Randy you Newberg. me down on the street. Exactly. Um, for those who don't know who you are, Randy Newberg, why don't you just give a quick introduction? Sure. Randy Newberg. I live in Bozeman, Montana, and uh, I uh, get to, I guess, hunt and fish and do all kinds of fun outdoor things now that I've quit my job as a CPA, where I previously disinherited the federal treasury. And... Uh, that was profitable enough that now I could just quit. And uh, I've been producing podcast, video, outdoor media for 14 years. Uh, been involved in conservation, uh, public lands, uh, a lot of advocacy stuff for probably 30 years. So uh, anytime someone like Cody, Robbie, send an email and say, hey, you want to get get on a podcast, get on somewhere and talk about these things? I'm like, sign me up. It's my yeah, anniversary. Man. I'm missing my anniversary dinner. No way. Today's your anniversary? No, it's not. It was last week. But I tell people, if you really want knowledge from me that's worthwhile, it's probably going to be tax advice or marriage advice because I've been a CPA for 35 years and I've been married for 33 years. So anything else I'm, I'm below average at. Well, those... I, you can't be that below average because uh, I don't know how many people that are listening to this podcast saw it. I missed it. Because I just don't have um, TV anymore. Uh, but you were recently on 60 Minutes, Randy. Uh -huh. Yeah. I, Cody, did you know that we are in the you know midst of a celebrity? Yeah. 60 Minutes? I, I didn't uh, know that, yeah. You, you want to know uh, uh, that? 
they uh, came... I want to know about the 60-minute interview. Yeah, so they came to me three years ago. They were going to do this big piece about wolves in Yellowstone. Yep. And they said, you know, we've got somebody who's going to tell one side of the story, but we need you to help us do the research of the other side of the story. So I'm like, all right. So Rome and Sarah, the two producers, came out, and they spent a few days with me. And they were trying to find somebody who was willing to sit on camera and talk about wolf hunting, wolf trapping, you know, maybe the other side of the wolf story. And... Finally, they went back to New York and they called me. They're like, would you be the person? You seem to know a lot about this. You've been involved in it for 25 years and you, you're you on camera a lot. I'm like, oh, I guess I, okay, I'll do it. And one of the things that I told them in, as they were doing their background research, I said, you know, I have a really good friend who's done a lot of research in Yellowstone and he was just in National Geographic magazine and he sums up this whole wolf issue as good as anyone I know. And I said, well, what, do you, what what's that? I said, he, his quote was, wolves are wolves. They don't have rainbows shooting out their asses. And uh, they're like, oh, that that's, we got to find some way to get that on, on the show. Uh, so after a two hour interview with Bill Whitaker about all kinds of things, they have they ask you this question four or five different times to get you to say this, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I told them, I, look, the quote's not attributable to me. It's attributable to my friend. And they're like, no, but you're the one who's going to say it. So you do a two-hour interview, about mm, 90 seconds of it makes it on 60 minutes. And then you get mm-hmm. about 3,000 emails the next morning that are completely hair on fire batshit crazy oh my god uh, every they've aired it three times down i forget that now that they air it and my wife handles a lot of my emails and she'll call me and say what did you do to upset this many people I'm like uh, i i forgot i was on 60 minutes and they introduced me as the guy who hunts and traps wolves so yeah hey oh well that's it hey? but look is there more of a controversial topic out there, Randy, than wolves? No. It's, it's uh, and like so many controversial topics, it's a very profitable topic for a lot of people. And that's why I say wolves really aren't, and I, this is the part I was hoping they're going to say, but I always say that wolves are not a canine, they're a bovine. And people usually are like, what do you mean? Don't you understand your, you know, mm-hmm. your, the way categorization of, of species? I'm like, no, they're a bovine. They're a cash cow. And, uh, you know, there's never going to be an end to the wolf debate because there's just too much money involved in it. And uh, so whenever these groups, uh, you know, they got to do a membership drive or sure, raise sure. some money for the the corporate retreat to Costa Rica. Well, let's run a campaign about all the wolves getting you know, mm-hmm. annihilated. So mm-hmm. it's interesting. I told Cody actually yesterday I podcasted and I think Blood Origins does this better than anyone. We sort of try and stay ahead of the curve. We're trying to be that spear tip of issues. We podcasted yesterday with one of the first Colorado cattlemen that have had their cows taken by wolves yeah. in Colorado. And the pack actually dens the, the the first pack in Colorado dens right next to this person's ranch. And it was his first podcast. He was very, he was very nervous, but you could tell how despondent he was and how sad he was. He wasn't like, I want to, I want to kill them all, but someone has to help me. Someone has to help me They They come around the house. They have no fear of me. We are in the cows every single night. We have to take shifts in the cows. And, um, he's about to enter into calving season and then, uh, the high altitude season where the cows go up into the meadows yep. for the first time with a with a wolf pack on the landscape, yeah. and they have no idea um, what that means. They're not getting compensated right now, and he's frustrated because he's like, "Look, I, I'm I'm doing everything that I can by the book, mm-hmm. but I'm no, stuck." I, he's he's. Uh... It's an unfortunate reality of our system. And people ask me, what's the big tragedy or what's the big untold story about the wolf reintroduction? And for me, it's always been about, I call it the abuse and neglect of trust, the betrayal of trust that 
local people one time had in processes and in institutions. And when you give them no tools, if you're continually moving the the goal line and you do you you completely discount their reality of what they're dealing with, don't ever expect them to buy into the system. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that's how it happened he here in Montana. It was just so sad hearing, you know, he was describing obviously how how brutal wolf kills are and wolf attacks are. And he just was just the way he was describing having to put his own cows down. Um, and that this animal is not an ethical, it, it's not an ethical killer. It's just this, no, it's, it's, it's brutal. It's a wolf. It's a wolf. It, yeah. It's uh, so, you know, it's here in Montana, it's been a topic now since 1995, even before that, uh, when they were planning the introduction, we knew we were getting wolves. So it really came down to how do we negotiate the best possible deal we can. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think people tried to do that. They did it in good faith. And then we met every requirement that was asked. And then uh, the parties who were on the other side during those negotiations are like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. As long, Their whole idea was let's get wolves on the ground. Once we get wolves on the ground, we'll move the yardsticks or the, the goal mm-hmm. line. And they did. And so we had to litigate it for 10 years before we finally had a congressional delisting for Montana, Idaho, and and uh, later Wyoming. Yep. Uh, but right, you know, just la- what was it last week or the week before? Now in the lower 48, we had a court ruling that relisted uh, gray wolves everywhere other than the three Rocky Mountain states. And, and this guy reason- actually said that that litigation is going to help him. Right. Because-, because they can come in and help. Yeah. So it's, uh, you it's- know, the population, the the What's that, Cody? It's a little screwy because the deregulation, the the initial deregulation in, that are delisting in 2020 is what gave Colorado the power as a state to decide to put wolves back in. Right. And now they're technically relisted in Colorado and CPW legally is stripped of their rights to reintroduce yep. the wolf and. I mean, they can't anymore. They're, How does that play I don't in the know. in the whole public ballot scenario if they can't bring them reintroduce them because they're relisted? But they can't. Right. They they can't without the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service approval. Right. And then you're then you're going to get in an argument, kind of like we did with U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service under the, under the Endangered Species Act. There's a section called Section 10J, which allows for experimental and non-essential populations to be reintroduced and that's what got reintroduced in montana idaho and wyoming uh but isn't that ironic cody that uh a court ruling that everyone is you know it's bothersome because here again we have judges with no training in the topic uh making decisions uh but we certainly didn't have a bunch of biologists and scientists voting on your ballot initiative in colorado that authorized it. So here's the here's yeah, the second piece of irony on it. Are the people of Colorado gonna or gonna the, the people the the uh, pro reintroduction people of Colorado going to argue for states' rights to manage the wolf? Uh man, that 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 would be irony beyond. <laughs> <laughs> that would just. Oh. I, I was thinking about that the other day that. Uh, I would, uh, I mean, honestly, as an American, I, I would be torn in that argument because because I do believe it's Colorado's right to manage right. to manage their wildlife um, that aren't that aren't on the ESA. Um, but yeah, there's a whole twisted pool of crap there that's hard to understand or foresee what's going to happen there. It's going to get complicated for sure. Yeah. So. Uh, here we are in Montana, you know, living with wolves, um, dealing with it, hunting them, trapping them, and uh, they're doing. Wolves are doing fine. I mean, mm-hmm. they're they're a super smart, adaptable animal. Uh, mm-hmm. Quite honestly, I'm more concerned about the long term impacts of development of habitat fragmentation. And here's a further irony: is you have a a lot of people who claim to be advocates for for wolves who pay no attention to the plight of migratory species like elk and if 
if we continue to disrupt their their migration patterns through development subdivision the way we are right now in montana there aren't going to be enough elk to support wolf populations to worry about mm-hmm. we right now we have the luxury if you want to call it that of having elk numbers at a level that can sustain predation by wolves by grizzly bears by black bears by mountain lions if we get rid of all that habitat the base the foundation that supports that entire system is going down and there aren't going to be wolves and grizzly bears and mountain lions and everything else to argue about Mm -hmm. and you you get zero voice zero advocacy from those other groups for the cause the long-term future of elk and their habitat think think of all the money spent litigating the wolf thing had been spent on habitat. Oh man, I Cody! Mean, if that was the case, I oh. mean, and and I'll, I'll uh, yeah, I mean, I the, the the whole problem may have it may have actually gone away. We, we we may have actually done so many things for habitat improvement and habitat expansion that the conflict things would have gone down and both sides would have been happier, but both, both yep. sides of the argument, but instead, um, you know, I, I liked your point earlier that it's such a, you know, when you look at the, you go into the actual budget and financials of HSUS and I've in, in a previous job did this dive pretty deeply. I'm not, this is not secondhand knowledge that, that, you know, the hundreds of millions of dollars that HSUS raised to save the wolf. Then you look at the actual money that was spent helping wolves and it's, you know, it, it's so miserable that it's crazy. And in the meantime, they built a giant new headquarters in, in the district of Columbia. It's a, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, it's a, it's a gnarly thing. It's it's a frustrating process, but it's a reality of where we're at today. And so I, as frustrated as I can get with it, I try my best to understand it. And I try the best to use my platforms to educate people that mm-hmm. this is our reality. The same as, you know what, the sun comes up in the east and sets in the west. That's a reality. So let, let me have my, my point of rant and and listen to it, but then let's figure out how we deal with it. And right yep. now, dealing with it is tough. Yep. And for that rancher that you mentioned, he has so few tools at his disposal. Yep. Almost none. Yep. He is, a, as I said, the re-listing to him was like a godsend because the governor of Colorado, you weren't even allowed to haze them at all. Go with a vehicle at them, beanbags, nothing. None of that. Flagging, nothing, none of it. Yeah. Um, so, anyway. Well, we've got uh, our typical roundup in that we have a number of articles that we like to get to, that we like to discuss, that we like to talk about on uh, that, that hit the airwaves on a weekly basis. And what we typically do, Randy, is we offer the guest an opportunity to decide which article he wants to choose first. <laughs> well, I'm an accountant, so I always go in chronological order. So I'm looking at Cody's email. And it's also really convenient that that article is about 40 miles from where I'm sitting right now. Uh, and I'll, I'll let you or Cody uh, read what, what that piece yeah, is. Yeah, so the, so the article that Randy has so eloquently chosen is, um, is titled, Hounds Chased a Yellowstone National Park Mountain Lion very key point in the headline yeah into a tree then the montana governor greg gianfort shot it here's what was the washington post headline is that the same way what washington post had a headline yeah i just don't pay the washington post so i had to go find it on some it's the exact same article i just couldn't read the whole thing on washington post so i found someone that just jibed it off of them whatever website that's that is right there yeah, exactly the same. Exactly the same on Washington Post. Yeah, yeah, it's the same article. It's just I got blocked by a paywall, a paragraph in, so I went and found it somewhere else. But the it, here's the here's the it's probably a small discussion point, but this is why I put the article at the top of the list is the abuse of the word Yellowstone in the title. 
That's yep. the part that really irks me. And you could read that title, which I think I will admit that 60% of my news consumption is scrolling titles. If the title doesn't get me to read the rest of it, I just don't read the rest of it, right? Mm-hmm. So if right. that plays out across the board, 60% of the people, that's a made up number, but a group of people literally in their mind pictured the governor of Montana with hounds in the park. Yep. He was not in the park, people. No. He was not in no. the park. Now, no. unfortunately, unfortunately, the, po- unfortunately, the of, of Montana Crap. slipped up earlier, right? He made a mistake yep. on a wolf. Made a genuine mistake and didn't take, I believe, a trapper's education online course that he was supposed to take. Correct. Um, I shouldn't say mistake. I don't know that he's not. I, I don't know. I don't. Maybe he's an egotistical prick and didn't want it. None of that matters. This lion was not in the park. Neither were the twenty-four the wolves that were killed north of the park in Montana during the wolf season. I think it's 24, I'm trying to recall. None of those wolves were in the park. But the media uses the word Yellowstone. That's the reason I threw this up here, um, or Mm -hmm. the main reason. I think it's a good good topic to discuss as well, but that's the main reason I threw that up there was the media distortion of – none of those animals belong to the park – there's no. no fence around the park. Um, and it, it, it shows a zero comprehension of what the annual cycle is in Yellowstone Park. If there was a wolf or a mountain lion that stayed in the core interior of Yellowstone Park through the winter, they would be dead because there is nothing in the park. It every every prey species there is, short of bison. And a 160-pound mountain lion is not going to grab a 15, 1,800-pound bison. Uh, so where, where do the wolves go? Where do the mountain lions go? They follow the elk. And the elk are 20, 30, 40 miles outside the park right now. And those elk in the springtime will follow the green up back into the park. And those who depend on that food source these predators will follow them back into the park. But you're exactly right, Cody. You would swear if you read the headlines that in Montana we're shooting wolves in Yellowstone National Park. Yeah, or the governor's running hounds through the the valleys of the park chasing cats. That's the kind of stuff that – and I've mm -hmm. said this all along. There's a big group of the people out there who use their platform to oppose hunting who are just misinformed. They're good people. They're common sense people. They eat meat. They're not opposed to it, but they're completely misinformed and it's done by headlines like that. That's that's what misinforms them. The governor of Montana 100% did not kill a mountain lion in Yellowstone National Park, contrary to that headline. Yes. The other interesting thing is that they they sort of which is which is what we know it's why we're doing a documentary on lion houndsmen right now is that they almost picked up the vilification of the use of dogs mm-hmm. and hounds to tree yeah. a mountain lion and they made it sound like this is again the whole point of the hound debate is that it's not fair chase and right. that this animal is scared this animal is treed that's why no it's just it's getting out of the way and hanging out if you've ever been around a mountain lion in a tree it's not scared it's just sitting there like just when you guys leave i'll just get out of the tree you know yeah. kind of deal we should develop um, we should develop a program where everyone that talks about mountain lion hunting with hounds not being fair chase the first 10 of them i'll commit to 10 right now i'll write the check to send them on a trip and then you freaking talk to me about it not being fair chase when you're done. And you're going you're gonna to start and you're going to stay with the dogs just like true houndsmen do. You're going to stay with the dogs. 
even if somebody's back with the collar, somebody's running trying to stay. I'm gonna well, then you're gonna you're gonna stay with the dogs, and then you're gonna go. Okay, I may not like this, but I'm not using the damn fair chase argument anymore because this is possibly the hardest hunting there is in the United States right here. And I've I've done it a couple of times, and it is not a thing that's built for my fat ass. I can tell you right now that it's hard. Just keep it up with yeah. Every lion houndsman I know is about six foot three and about 145 pounds. They're just like a piece of piano wire. And uh, uh, I, I had a camera guy. He ran hounds. That was what he did in the, you know, this time of year when we weren't filming. He's one of the most knowledgeable woods people you'll ever Who meet. is that, Randy? Uh, a guy named Tyler Johnerson. Uh, we were actually filming Tyler three weeks ago for this okay. documentary. Okay. So Tyler is, he was my, you know, a contract camera guy for me for four or five years. And I've been on quite a few chases with him. Not, not, I never carried a firearm. I just wanted to see how this happened. I was so intrigued because to me, the story about a dog or, you know, dogs and how much there is between the handler and the dogs there is this relationship, this knowledge, this understanding that goes so far beyond what people can even start to comprehend until they see it. And if you were with Tyler, I don't know if you, if you just interviewed him or if you went on some chases, but keeping up with that guy, good Yeah, luck. the cameraman said it was the roughest terrain. <laughs> and you yeah. know how much snow you've received this year. They yeah. said it was the roughest terrain they've ever been in, period. No, and, and that's where lions go, right? When a lion wants to escape, they don't go lay out on the prairie. They go up into the rocks and the nasty stuff, and they put, you know, 1,500 vertical feet between you and them. Mm-hmm. And then they go up in the tree, and they're like, oh, these dogs are going to get tired of this. They'll, they'll leave in a while. And here comes, you know, Tyler and me or whoever's with, you know, following along. And Tyler will get there. You know, and half the time I get there, maybe even less, and I get there and I'm sweating profusely. I'm thinking to myself, now, if I didn't live at 5,000 feet of elevation and I didn't, you know, spend a lot of time running up and down these mountains a lot of the year, this this probably would have killed me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I'm with you, Cody. I, I wish you could take 10 people who are loud advocates for the cause that this is not fair chase. Send them with Tyler and say, we'll check in with you after about five days. Yeah, we don't even need to. We don't even need to. to it doesn't need to be about lion hunting. I'm sure that no. we, we can find someone that's just hazing the lion to move them out of ranch country. And mm-hmm. uh, let's go. If you're out there listening to this and you don't think lion hunting is fair chase, just shoot shoot us an email at info at blood origins and we will just take you on a little a little excursion to uh haze lions out of ranches because it happens all the time where i'm at and uh then you come back and sit down and put a microphone in front of your face and tell us how it wasn't fair chase yeah so the two things in the article that i I did want to just pick out a little bit Mm -hmm. you know they talk about a person familiar with the incident said that it took him hours to get to the site. That the dogs kept the lion in the tree for hours. Probably That's... an exaggeration, but it mm-hmm. could have easily been an hour, given the mm-hmm. fact, like we just said, the thing could have been way up 1,500 feet and someone who's not in shape. It right. may take you that long to get there. Right. And, and I know the governor, he's my age, and he doesn't get his because of the work he does he doesn't get as much exercise as i do and it would take me a while to get up to wherever mm-hmm. the dog mm-hmm. that that cat so uh, when i read that it's like mm, all right i want i, I want to hear hear the real yep. facts yeah uh, but you know you here, here's the other thing what we do it's easy for someone who's not familiar with what we do to paint a narrative and a story that just a few words here and there put it completely out of context. Yeah. Yep. But it's just the reality of how things happen. So I, the statement in there that says, in neighboring Wyoming, detaining a mountain lion in a tree until another hunter arrives is illegal. Mm-hmm. That statement seemed very odd to me. It's very vague. Like, 
if if yeah. that if that hunter is three hundred yards away, like like they, there there wasn't enough specificity <laughs> in it. I mean, right. holding there's a you can a, use mountain lion, you can use hounds in in Wyoming, right? Yes. Yeah, you can use hounds in Montana, Wyoming, so that's not a problem. Interesting. I think it's I, I think I, there's got to be some more specificity on that Wyoming law. You know, I mean, I'm not a fan of if the governor was sitting in a cabin 11 miles away having hot toddies waiting for a text, you know, that's a, that's a different story. Um, but you can't detain. I mean, there's a whole, a lot of times the first guy to the tree is not the guy with the tag necessarily, you know, I mean, it's just, no. just a fact of life, the dog handler, whether it's, I've been involved in them and there was zero guiding. This wasn't a, a money that I was involved no. in wasn't a money changing hands thing. It's just the dog handler whooped all of our asses getting to the tree, including the guy that had the tag in his pocket. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't understand that. And and the other thing is the dog handler is concerned about his dogs. Sure. So if, if you're in on one of these, the dog handler is usually the person in the best shape, understands the terrain, the landscape, the trails, the, the network, the lay of the land, and he's going to be right on the butt of the of the towns to the degree he can so it's not unheard of that the dog handler would get to the dogs before everybody else and just so mm -hmm. yeah there 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 seems to be some gaps there you know one one of the things i found interesting is you know the lion had been collared in yellowstone park which tells me they probably collared it in the summertime and cody you talking about the challenges of uh trying to call our lions for studies. Um, you know, one thing that a lot of people in, in this part of the state with wolves uh, have said is one of the complaints levied to, to hunters was, you know, how much money it costs for us to collar a wolf, to track a wolf, how much value there is in the research of a collared wolf. And so we propose, well, if that's your reason for not wanting us to hunt wolves in Southwest Montana, just make wolves with collars off limits then you know so it's, it's like there's there's always the false uh you know the straw man argument that's given so once we called their bluff and said well okay we don't want this one or two wolf quota adjacent to yellowstone park let's just make it so that you know collared wolves are off limits mm -hmm. and uh well, all of a sudden then it's like well it's really you know <laughs> you well, could to tell that, to that point randy and let's let's and this is my only like contention with this whole scenario. Mm -hmm. Clearly, the guy's a politician, mm -hmm. and clearly they understand this thing has a collar. Right. There's going to be ramifications of understanding that, this animal. That's so. Why pull going. the trigger? Right, because most houndsmen will do. They call you know they'll call it. I caught a cat. So they'll catch, quote unquote, tree, multiple cats over the course of whatever period of time. And usually it's the houndsman who makes the decision of whether or not that animal is going to be taken. Because mm -hmm. it might be a female. Mm -hmm. It might be an immature tom. Mm -hmm. It might be a very old tom. And he says, let's let's get this one out of here. Uh, but I, I don't really know. But yeah, there is that reality that, you know, the governor... Uh, Mr. Gianforte probably should have been thinking about of, darn, uh, uh, I wonder if I want to shoot one that has a collar on it because we're, you know, we have to return these collars. He's going to turn this collar in. And that's like. Yeah, there's going to be news associated with the collar. Now, don't get me wrong. The point of a collar is to understand things like range as well as mortality. So there is a point to the collar, and you shouldn't just because it has a collar, it doesn't mean you shouldn't kill it. No, that, it that's part of research. That's part of science. That's right. why you put a collar on an animal. But yep, the politics sure. of this scenario, or the politician in this scenario, with the potential ramifications of this collar now getting into the news cycle, was something that we, you know, sh I, I guess could have been considered. Yeah. It's, it, it, and, uh, you know, it's so easy to, 
to be the armchair quarterback on what was going on and how it happened. And that's why it, it popped up out on my forum and I haven't even commented on it. It's like, you know, we don't know the facts. We don't know what was going on. And yep. uh, if, if, like Cody said, if he was sitting back at a cabin 11 miles away, you know, sipping on a drink, waiting for a text, well, that 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 is a different context, but but we don't know. We don't know. So yeah, I, we don't know. We don't know. Um, but so yeah, well, for, yeah. That's not C. It, it did not have a name like Cecil, though. No, it did not. It did not have a name. It was a it was a number, which is which is great. I love the idea of numbers and not anthropomorphizing uh, wildlife. Cody, last thought on. Well, I had a thought, but you, you basically covered it. I had a wolf biologist one time tell me, and I said, I said something, I think I even said something about like, I don't know if I'd shoot a collared one, you know, and I, I don't know why, I don't know what, like, I think in my mind, it was like less of a wolf kind of like, like it wasn't as cool because somebody else had already caught it or something. That was what was, and it was just conversation at a at a dinner table and he said he he kind of explained not some he wasn't overly dramatic about it but he said look if there's wolf hunting and you don't shoot one because it's collared you're actually messing with our biasing the data you're 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 messing with our science and he said absolutely Everyone's going to be a little frustrated if if you shoot it three days after we collar it with all the work we did and the hill we climbed and all that. But he said, you're you're he may have actually said the phrase you're biasing our data. You know, if, if you were going to shoot this wolf, we need you to shoot it, even if it has the collar, because that gives us the mortality and, and range data, you know, that the, in this location, there's the possibility of an effect of a hunter causing a mortality and that was my point i was going to bring up and then you you stole my yeah. fire rub and i'll i'll be honest guys i had a chance to shoot collared elk and i didn't and my camera crew is like wait a second what, what what's the deal i'm like look i have no problem if somebody else does this but i'm self-aware enough to know that i'm kind of in the spotlight of or i'm my life gets conducted in a fishbowl. So I can hear a lot of people saying, oh, Newberg, you, you couldn't find another elk? You had, you had to shoot one with a collar? You know how much it costs for those collars? You know that blah, 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 blah. And so I made the decision not to. And then at camp that night, the camera guys are like, well, what if it was a wolf? What if it was a bear? And so we had this really you know, tangential discussion about it. I, it's to me, it's not that big a deal. And I, I think you're exactly right, Cody, by pointing out that you do bias the information if you are making a conscientious choice to not conduct in the same way. I, you know, so here I am, I'm kind of talking out both sides of my mouth, right? It's like, well, I didn't do it because I thought it, it, it would just give someone sure. a reason to say, look at those hunters. You know, they have no regard for science. They like to say they're all about science and they're just about, you know, shooting something. So I didn't do it. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. like it, it weirdly certain groups of people. I can't say this word very well, but it's anthropomorphized. Right. If, if, if we catch it and put a collar on it. It becomes more pet like. Right. <laughs> like, like in the case yeah. of the actual Cecil, the lion, why were we so, why were we so mad about that lion? We're still mad about the other lions, but we're way more mad about this lion. And I don't, I don't actually technically know if Cecil was collared, but he was absolutely was collared. Okay. Was collared. I, I, I thought but it was, wasn't the collar that made him famous. It was, the ecotourism area that he used to hang out in. And there was just hundreds of, you know, thousands of pictures of the guy. Right. But he's still like that, that, that goes back to, are we, why, why do we get more wound up if a famous person's murdered compared to some guy down the street that we don't know? You know, I mean, it, it's all, it's all, uh, Never mind. Mm -hmm. Let's go to the next article. Yeah. All right. So we got 15, <laughs> we've got 15 minutes and we're, we're uh -oh. going to go from, 
we're going to go to another controversial topic. And this one we've been holding for like three weeks. We've never, we haven't been able to get to this bloody topic every week, but we're going to get to it this week because I know that the, that Randy has um, some interesting insight probably on it. And this is the idea. And this is, I'm going to set it up and, and maybe cause a little controversy myself. Is this idea that the death by a thousand cuts when it comes to hunting and the idea of transitioning from the traditional lead bullet to something else is just another thing that is against hunting. It's another thing that they're just getting us. They're sticking it to us. The man is sticking it to us. Mm-hmm. Now I get both sides, right? Yes. Lead bullets are cheaper. They're easier to get right now. If you can get any ammunition, ammunition is, 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 is not available. So why force us into this area? And yeah. here's the argument that I'll make. And Cody will have a, a differing of opinion because this is the, the perfect part of our, 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 the way that we build these podcasts. Is that I, I don't think anyone's asking you or no, sorry. I don't think anyone's telling you to change in terms of your bullets. There are other options out there that have been scientifically proven to be better for the environment. But if you choose to continue to use lead, no problems. Just be conscientious that there is lead fragments now in the carcass, in the the remains, in the gut pile that you're leaving. So like the Arizona Strip from a volunteer program perspective, haul the guts out, dump them somewhere else, or bury them. That way, yes, it's a little bit more effort, of course. but you're doing something good. So I'll tee it up just like I did. And Randy, how about you? What, what are your thoughts here to this, this idea? And, and to, to, for everyone's edification, the, the article was published on uh, February the 18th in Monga Bay. It was a shot to the gut. American eagles poisoned by lead from bullets. And the article talks about how population growth rates are still slowing in bald eagles and golden eagles by 4% and 1% respectively. However, they do note that generally the population is still very much growing at 10 to 12%. So it's not that the population is declining. It's just the growth is slowing because of lead. Well, the fact that this year I shot a moose and I shot a mountain goat and I shot a pronghorn with a non-lead bullet uh, probably answers. uh, Maybe I could just leave it at that. Uh, And that then brings the question of why uh there's a lot of whys for me i get supreme performance out of my non-lead bullets uh they're extremely accurate uh and they deliver great results now uh i did have an arizona strip mule deer tag and arizona game and fish sent me a coupon from cabela's for two boxes of non-lead ammunition Interesting. And I yeah, I, I, I'm like, cool, I bought it, I'll try this. And they, they send you the pamphlet of what their data has been showing. And mostly in the ter- in, in, uh, issue there is, is condors is their biggest Correct. concern. Uh, but as your survey or your, your uh, article that you quoted uh, is talking about pretty much all scavengers, mm-hmm. uh, raptors. Um, and so I'm like, you know, I'll try anything. If if it's going to make a little bit of difference, I'll try it. Um, back then, that was 2007, I didn't get very good performance out of those bullets that I bought. Uh, so uh, I I took them with. I ended up passing every deer on that hunt and ended up, I still have the tag in, in my desk drawer. Uh, but I've, I then uh, hunted the Kaibab Plateau in 2008, 2017. Uh, and I used non-lead bullets on that hunt, and I had much more confidence in them 10 years later because the technology had evolved. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But, I, you know, for me, if hunters are comfortable with it, I say, knock yourself out. I, I think where we run into problems is some states are mandating it. Right. And you look at where Arizona has just asked for voluntary 
and it's done phenomenally well. Phenomenal. The amount of people, the percentage of people who have said, yeah, I'll do my best. You know, I'll pitch in. I'll do more. Uh, and the, the, their study results show that it's been super effective to have a voluntary program. In fact, there's a discussion of the, the rate of non-compliance in a mandatory program might be higher than one minus the rate of, of volunteerism in a voluntary program. Interesting. And I, I, I guess it's just inherent in me. I don't feel like telling everybody what to do. Mm-hmm. And maybe my confidence in in the you know the human condition is too high, but I think people are going to do what they think is best and and is right. And you know, then yeah, I can flip that argument and say, if your rifle and every rifle is somewhat specific, does not perform well with non-lead bullets, what the hell are you doing shooting non-lead bullets? Mm-hmm. You're going to have wounded. Agreed. You're, you're, you're going to, you're, your effectiveness goes down. Uh, that's not the case for me. Uh, the, you know, all my rifles like them, but so it's, it's a yep. big can of worms. Uh, I don't think it's got to be the can of worms that it's made out to be. Uh, I think for hunters, we educate ourselves and we make the decision that fits us. Mm-hmm. I think um, you stole I'm, a lot of Cody's argument. It sounded sorry, like Cody, Cody responding right there. Really? Well, I, I oh, couldn't, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I could, like, I actually agree more than you agree with yourself, Randy. I, I, (laughs) and the part that I really agree with is, first of all, I got some real questions about this article. A huge percent, okay, here's, here's some, here's, all right, Dr. Kroger. Yes, sir. A huge percentage of these eagles, and I I read this article in about seven different places, different, like, not this article, but seven different variations. And a conclusion that I've came to is a big percentage of these eagles were dead when they were studied. Mm -hmm. Okay? This is Mm -hmm. not an argument that lead doesn't hurt eagles. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm Mm -hmm. saying, can you take eagles that were brought in dead study them and assess that across the live eagle population. Yeah, it's a very good assessment of what is live. Nothing's going to change. You're, Here's you're I, making the assumption that something changed. You didn't even give me a chance to respond. I know because I knew what you were going to say and I already have my response <laughs> so just stop. <laughs> but if I, love if, it. if I found 10 dead eagles that died of lead poisoning, and I put them in my study of 20 eagles. I can't say 50% of the population is going to die by lead poisoning. These 10 eagles did. It, the, 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 the study to me was dramatic. It was, it was exaggeratory is what I'm saying. I didn't like the study and the, and the, the way that it was portrayed in these news articles. Nothing personal scientists. Maybe I need to talk to you personally. That being said, uh, just replay what Randy said. Um, I, I, I agree 100%. I have some of both. Um, I'm a little bit grumpy about reciting things in because it is a different, it's a different performance and that makes me grumpy, but that's just lazy, Cody. That's not something, that's not a hill for me to die on. Um, at the same time, um, I don't see – I also think there's just this perception in my dumbass layman brain of, you know, at big game last year – well, big game and predators, I probably sent 15 bullets downrange. And there's this hard perception for me of – those 15 times, you know, 150 to 180 grains having an effect on the world. That That's hard for me to I'm – not, I'm not making an argument. I'm just saying that's hard for me to process. I jumped right on board waterfowl a long time ago because I went, holy shit. Every duck I shoot at, I'm putting 90 lead pellets in the water that the ducks are eating out. That, that all made sense to me even when, my God – as a as an eighteen year old, I thought I was going to have to get a line of credit to keep duck hunting with business. 
You guys remember when Bismuth first came out? It was at $111 a shot is about what it cost us to get that shit. It was so expensive. But I did it because that made sense to me. The The process of the big game side of it is hard for me to process. Um, and I know somebody's going to say, take that times 4 million hunters, Cody. And then it's all I, – I get all that. Um, but I agree. We should probably all, as, as hunters that care – um, be looking into it, pursuing it, sighting things in, finding an ammo that we like. Um, at the same time, if the state of Colorado mandates it, I'm going to be at the Capitol. I, I just, and I think some of that's just, we're kind of, it's not a great time to be coming up with mandates in the world right now. You're going to rile those of us that like our freedoms up a little bit more. So, just so one, 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 so one of the things we're going to do is post this podcast. We're going to do a separate podcast with Cody and um, talking about toxic exposure and bioaccumulation through the trophic cascade. Okay, Cody? <laughs> yeah. Uh, number one. Fucking bring number it on, two. Dr. Kroger. Bring it on. <laughs> uh. Number two, uh, the science is good. This, pub, this, this paper was published in Science, which is the top-tier journal. Not that it doesn't get things wrong, but it is a very, very, very high-end the highest end scientific journal that you can get. And the population size was quite substantial, 1,200, of which half of them were live. 1,200 over and what so, time frame? Uh, I'd have to look at the paper to get the exact time like frame. 25 years. Um, that doesn't seem substantial but, to me. But, but when they take that data and they model it out to continental-wide uh, levels, then that's how they derive those percentages in the population. Okay, here's another question. Uh, Randy, just so you know, we're at 58 minutes. He gets all pissy at 60 if I'm still talking, so just brace yourself. <laughs> but the, 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 some of that data is – I don't know. I don't, I don't know why I just it, – it's the death of a thousand cuts thing. I just want to put up a barrier of defense here – and I don't really have a great justification for it. I'm telling you that that's the truth. I'm admitting that to you. Eagle populations are soaring. Correct. Like, to that the was point. the take-home message. They're still doing very, very well. And, you know, like, do we eliminate – is that the biggest problem that we should spend money researching for eagles right now? Like, there's all these thoughts in my head of – I can't get it out of my brain that this article seems like an attack on hunting, although no, I don't have definitely not. No, I know. I know. I'm, I'm admitting. I'm saying out loud. I don't have a great justification for that. I'm just being honest on the podcast that every single thing that comes out that says hunters are doing this bad thing, I am starting to become a conspiracy theorist about it a little bit and think it's just somebody attacking us. But at the same time, Go buy yourself some damn non-lead bullets and try shooting them out. And they're really – it's a big difference, man. The federal lead compared to the federal steel and then the, the bismuth 20 years ago, like that was – I can afford this. I'm going to go broke. I'm an idiot for buying this when you were buying the bismuth. I'm not, I'm not shitting you. It was like 5 or $6 a shot on that bismuth stuff. That's all come way down. It's all way more reasonable now. Um, go give it a shot. And plus, Randy Newberg shoots a lot of stuff, and he says it works. Well, yeah, now I'm now I'm going to spoil the whole game. My favorite 308 absolutely loves Nosler Partitions, which is a full lead bullet. Right. And it's my lightweight rifle. So, and I know I'm going to go on a, you know, just a buster of a of a hike. I'm probably toting that 308. Mm -hmm. with lead bullets and mm -hmm. so you know i that's why for me it's whatever works for you read the science try to inform yourselves and if there's anything hunters have been known for we try to take science and we go that extra mile that extra dollar that extra effort to try do what's best and you know i but we also are pretty strong about letting people make up their own minds too. Mm-hmm. 100%. Cody makes up his mind all the time without even <laughs> letting me give a, a, an opportunity to, to speak as you just witnessed. So, oh. 
Randy, thank you, my man. We thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, anytime you want to come back, anytime you want to talk about an article, uh, anytime you want to talk about a topic, oh, you are welcome back. Yeah, thank you for having me, guys. I I'm I feel so blessed that you guys would even call me and and ask me to do oh, this. Oh, we're the ones that are blessed, man. Uh, we're the ones so, that are blessed. So, anytime, really. This is the stuff, you know. Having these kind of discussions with two other guys who really think about this stuff, and if we have biases, we can admit, hey, I've got this bias. You know, this is just who I am. This is how I am. That that honest discussion, I think, is helpful. So. Yes, sir. Anytime I can be there. Thank you. Well, till the next time, Randy. Thank you. Take care. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.